Yeah, I mean, I think the truth of it is that when we launched UK Independent Wealth, you know, we'd already been through, you know, 11, 12 years of rising stock markets after the 08 uh, fallout, um, albeit with the blip at the start of the pandemic. Um, yes, deeply nervous about the way that PE ratios had grown in the most astonishing way, uh, worried about the sheer frothiness of the whole thing, um, shades and echoes of the dot-com bust that happened around about the turn of the century, and mindful, I think, of what Jim Slater, the famous city investor and trader, said in the 1970s, that in a bear market, cash is king. That doesn't mean cash in the bank. It means being invested in companies that aren't heavily indebted. Um, and that was really the point. So yeah, I think all those recommendations, things like... Hello and welcome to the Fortune and Freedom podcast, where Nigel Farage and Nikolai Hubble give you a unique take on what's really going on in the world of finance, investing and politics. We hope you sit back and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to this week in review with Nigel Farage. Nigel, the first thing to mention here is the GDP news, which has come out just before we started recording. So I'll quote the tape as they say, UK GDP fell 0.1% over March after growth for February was revised down to zero. And on a quarterly basis now for the first quarter of the year, the economy grew by just 0.8%. The interesting thing about this is that it was the services sector, which was the biggest drag on the economy, which sort of makes the argument that it's all about Russia and energy prices and, and supply chain issues a bit weaker. Yes, the government can't blame Mr. Putin for everything. I know that uh, Joe Biden is trying to do that on the other side of the pond. Uh, yeah, look, it's stagflation. I mean, there's no getting away from it. That's exactly where we are. Um, it's not something we've seen since the 1970s, actually. Um, and I think, to be honest, that policymakers are somewhat bewildered by this. I, interestingly, I also think government just hasn't got a clue what to do. They don't know what to think. Uh, I thought the uh, Queen's speech was interesting. Uh, I mean, most of it, just a rehash of the 2019 manifesto. I went through the 38 pieces of proposed legislation and 60% of them were simply rehashes from 2019. Things, Nick, that you and I would approve of that are in there, uh, you know, such as deregulation, um, looking at, you know, EU law, all of those things, to which the question is, well, why haven't you done it before now? Um, and of course, the pandemic gets blamed and all the rest of it. But in terms of what is our macroeconomic policy, I don't, I don't think anyone knows. Uh, you know, the Prime Minister this morning talking about super taxes on the oil companies. Well, I think what we might rather see uh, is the oil companies incentivized to um, invest a bit more. Um, you know, I mean, if you put super taxes on, well, why are they going to invest in the North Sea? Um, the fracking stuff still just hasn't happened. We talk about it. It still just hasn't happened. And there's no, I think, immediate prospect of it happening. Um, so we're really all over the place. Uh, government, Lord Finkelstein yesterday, Conservative uh, commentator, just said it feels like a government has lost its way. So we're a little bit stuck. And I think there's an understanding now, a growing realisation, inflation worse than we thought it's going to be here for longer than we thought. And we're in a recession. So, yeah, it's not a pretty picture. And much of that, Nick, being reflected in Sterling, which we talked about here a couple of weeks ago, I said to you that I'd turned pretty bearish on Sterling. Um, and we're now down at 122 against the US dollar. So I'm not sure at the minute 
um, that I've got any rose-tinted spectacles that I can put on. Yeah, there's not much good news out there. But one of the most fascinating parts to this is the fact that included in, in the government and the central bank's projection is the consequences of their policies, which is why they usually expect inflation to moderate to 2% and they expect GDP to grow a bit because it's their job to make that happen. Whereas these days, they're forecasting 10% inflation and possibly even a recession, which means their policies are going to deliver that result, which is a totally surreal situation. It's like they're planning to fail. Yes, and as I say, as I repeat, there doesn't appear to be a policy. It's just, this is where we are. Um, there's nothing radical proposed. Um, obviously the cost of living crisis is starting to bear. Interesting, I've noticed, I come back from London to Kent, I leave London at eight o'clock-ish every night. I would say the traffic on the roads now of an evening is 30 to 50% lower than it was three months ago. Just an indication that people aren't filling their cars up there considering their journeys more. So this is beginning to bite, but it's not really until October, November, when it's really gonna start hitting people's pockets. And if you add that to what happened in the local elections last week, and I know this is a slight rehash of what we said last week, but hey, you know, one in four conservative council seats they held, they lost. They lost 25% of their seats last week. It's a lot. And they're losing seats in Wales. They're losing seats in Scotland. They're losing heavily in London. Um, just about clinging on to the Red Wall, but I mean just about clinging on to parts of the Red Wall. Uh, the Liberal Democrats making big moves from Surrey right the way through Somerset and counties like that. And, you know, you can only conclude uh, that unless they do something really big economically or are seen to do something big, um, they will lose the next election. And we're going uh, to face, uh, the country's going to face a sort of odd coalition of Labour, Lib Dems, SNP, with probably even more confused economic thinking than we've currently got. So, you know, if we go back to the beginning of this project, you know, we all said that Brexit was a fantastic opportunity for the country. And some would argue that in terms of foreign policy, we're using that. I mean, Johnson establishing himself on the world stage in the most extraordinary way, guarantees to Sweden and Finland, things we'd never have dreamt of as EU members. And you may agree with those policies or disagree, but the fact is we've got the flexibility, the freedom to do that. But when it comes to economics, well, it pretty much boils down to a zero. Uh, and I was with Lord Frost earlier this week, our chief negotiator, I did an interview with him um, on the television. And, you know, it's pretty clear his level of absolute frustration at where we are. Now, this all comes to a head in an even bigger way over Northern Ireland. And you know you can read the screaming headlines about a huge Sinn Féin victory. It isn't actually. You know, their vote was 1% up on what it was the last time around. Unionism is deeply divided, deeply split, three parties vying for unionist votes. And the government now in a real mess because Johnson will want to be remembered as the prime minister that delivered Brexit but he won't want to be remembered as the prime minister that lost the union. And the prospects now of a border poll in Northern Ireland within the next five years become very much stronger. And what is tearing Northern Ireland to pieces, of course, is the Northern Irish Protocol, uh, something which is a mess of the prime minister's own making. I mean, he just lied about it. He just lied about it. 
It was as simple as that. Uh, I guess you could argue that in doing so, he got the rest of us out. You could argue that. So what are they going to do? Are they actually going to have the courage to do something about it? The EU will not give an inch. They will not give, they will not budge an inch at this stage and say there is a threat of a trade war. There is a threat, effectively, of us reverting to a no-deal Brexit. Now, that may sound horrific, but if it means we stop paying over the billions, apparently we still owe them, if it means we take back control of our territorial waters and our fishing industry, um, and how long will it be before Audi, Mercedes, uh, BMW, uh, all these companies start screaming because remember, they don't even call us the United Kingdom, they call us Treasure Island. Just look at the number of German cars on the road. What's gonna happen? I actually, I think the government have to do something. I don't think part of the UK being annexed as it's effectively been is sustainable, is acceptable. Um, so I think the British government is going to act. How will the EU respond? Will they really, will they really just cancel the existing arrangements? Let's see. I mean, look at Poland's attitude towards Ukraine and Germany's attitude towards Ukraine. Actually, the EU is more deeply divided right now than it's been for many, many years. So you may actually find that the pushback, the kickback, which would of course further weaken the pound, and further drive GDP down in the short term, and we accept that and we know that, but we might find the kickback is not quite as bad as the threats are at the moment. And I'm convinced even if it was, within a few months, commercial common sense would prevail. I don't know about that because politics and commercial common sense are, can be worlds apart, <laughs> but uh, it does sound good. The, the idea that you know a, a hard Brexit will uh, Will actually occur and i think that would actually vindicate a lot of the uh, the things that you and i have spoken about for a long time but let's move on to the cryptocurrency crash which is playing out what do you make of that yeah it's been quite dramatic and quite rapid now i think actually what's interesting here is everything's going down you know the nasdaq stocks are tanking and you know we've been saying from the start don't touch this stuff with a barge pole and we've been right about that um but everything's going down crypto is going down gold's going down there is a there is a series of mass liquidations going on out there. I'm told in crypto there's been a big Wall Street heist. Um, a big gang got together, um, heavily shorted one of the pegged uh, cryptocurrencies. They in turn have had to start selling bits of Solana, bits of Ethereum. It's led to a rout. A lot of the softer, shorter term money stopping out of the market. Um, look, I think, you know, my own view, I think that some of these tech stocks could fall a lot, lot further over the course of the summer and there could be a lot more pain um, but you know if we believe in what we believe in which is that uh, the the adoption of cryptocurrency it's, it's increasing widespread usage in the united states of america and some other parts of the world too is as it is um, you know we have to look at these big crypto dips as buying opportunities i can't see you know there's no way this is the end of the crypto story no way at all it's just a series of mass liquidations and it's going to be a very rocky summer in the markets. Uh, of that, there is absolutely no question. And we can't discount quite a big stock market setback in the short term. I feel like this uh, this cryptocurrency crash is well-deserved from all these cryptocurrency enthusiasts who've been sort of 
getting in bed with the mainstream financial system and, and getting involved in futures and ETFs and all this sort of thing, you know, you, if you're going to be part of that world, that when that world is struggling, then you're part of that world and, and you've got to put up with the, the corresponding price crash. I want to finish by jumping on something that you just mentioned there about being pessimistic about the tech stocks. That's what you've been talking about at UK Independent Wealth with Rob Marstrand. And one of the things you did there, as far as I know, is recommend a certain type of stock which has proven to be very popular according to the Telegraph. And I'm going to quote here, traders have plowed into tobacco and pharmaceutical stocks at the fastest rate since the Lehman Brothers crash as part of a wider move towards safe haven investments. Is this what you had in mind when you were being very conservative um, when we first launched UK Independent Wealth? And are you starting to look for opportunities now that the market is down? Yeah, I mean, I think the truth of it is that when we launched UK Independent Wealth, you know, we'd already been through you know, 11, 12 years of rising stock markets after the 08 uh, fallout, um, albeit with a blip at the start of the pandemic. Um, yes, deeply nervous about the way that the P ratios had grown in the most astonishing way, uh, worried about the sheer frothiness of the whole thing, um, shades and echoes of the dot-com bust that happened around about the turn of the century, and mindful, I think, of what Jim Slater, the famous city investor and trader said in the 1970s that in a bear market, cash is king. That doesn't mean cash in the bank. It means being invested in companies that aren't heavily indebted. Um, and that was really the point. So yeah, I think all those recommendations, things like tobacco stocks, completely out of fashion because of ESG investing, paying dividends of about 8%. I mean, <laughs> astonishing, really. Um, so yes, the whole aim of, of UK independent wealth has been to build up portfolios uh, that would appreciate over time where reinvested dividends would lead to that really big growth over the years to come, but absolutely mindful for the major stock market setback. And we didn't know when it was going to be, you know, but it, but it feels like it's beginning. Um, is it time to start really plowing back into a whole series of stocks? I think there's going to be time for that over the course of the summer. Let's finish with uh, an extraordinary story. I'll put it that way from the European Parliament. I mean, I would have voted to remain just to watch your reaction to the interpretive dancers that invaded the European Parliament. Uh, what would you have done if you'd been there? Oh, I mean, I, look, I could put up with Hofstadt and I could put up with, you know, um, Mrs. Merkel and I could put up with the heckling and the abuse, but the interpretive dancing, I, I think there's no question what I would have done. I would have got up, walked out, gone to the members bar and ordered a beer. <laughs> Sounds like a good idea for what we should be doing now. Nigel, thanks for joining us. <laughs> and to everyone at home, thanks for watching.